I'm Rabbi Patrick. This is Dan here. And this is episode 28, Ugh, The High Holidays. Good morning. We are recording this live from Perk in Bonaire. And I shouldn't say, it's not that big of a deal that we're recording live. We always do, and we never edit. But we don't usually do it at a public location. Yeah, it's true. This is a first for us in the audio engineering. Yeah, we'll see how we do. And another first is that um, Rabbi Patrick actually paid for coffee here at Perk <laughs> this morning. That usually does not happen. So it's going to be a day of... A groundbreaking day. It will be a groundbreaking day. In many respects. The man is, is, is a, has a mayoral, mayoral role here. Yeah, I, I kind of do. I'm the, I'm the Bon Air Rebbe, that's for certain. And um, so, but, but one thing is, I, I would consider that big fish, moderately small puddle, you know? And, and, and you recognize that. I do, Both I do. It's, it's, it's honor and it's... I, I do not see myself as being on a particularly high throne. <laughs> right. But it is a throne. It is a throne, <laughs> so, nonetheless. You know, which way, you know, positives and minuses here. It's true. So today we're going to talk about the high holy days, and which is, which is um, fitting because we're, we're right in the middle of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and and I, I'm going to, for the most part, get out of the way here of Patrick. Um, he has a, a, a message to deliver, <laughs> but I think before we do it, let's set the context for just casting a wide net to our to our listeners. Sure. I come here from Mars, and somehow I'm interested in Judaism. As one, I think, would be and, and I and Martian. I And I speak English. Right. So somehow. I can ask you. Yeah. Somehow, yeah, somehow <laughs> I speak English. <laughs> and I say, what are these high holidays anyways? What are they? Well, so the interesting thing is that Rosh Hashanah, so the head of the year, Rosh's head, Shana is here, actually wasn't um, the the beginning of the year, the calendar year. It wasn't the key, wasn't the key moment. The Passover was actually the key moment. But we took the Rosh Hashanah uh, and the idea of multiple New Years from the Babylonians. And then Yom Kippur, which is coming up, is a day of atonement. What's interesting about Yom so it's Kipp- the pairing of the two. It's the pairing of the two. I look at it this way. Rosh Hashanah is the buffet. Yom Kippur is the diet you go on afterwards. Okay. Right? So Rosh Hashanah, sweet new year. You begin becoming uh, reflective. Yom Kippur, day of atonement. That's when it has to be serious. That's the day of fasting. There are actually multiple minor fast days throughout the year. But Yom Kippur is the one that people know. So we think of that as the one day you fast. So what is happening now in this week between? So in this reflective period, we are supposed to be in awe. We're supposed to almost feel like we've entered into this uh, this higher state of spiritual consciousness um, and into a position of deeper and deeper reflection. Um, and so this is the time leading up to Yom Kippur when really it's almost like the car is driving and now it's about to hit the brick wall. This is when the impact happens. And Kol Nidre, the uh, chanting of all vows, is when we're supposed to have that moment where it's almost like catharsis. It's almost like a moment of uh, moment of release. And then we come out of that catharsis uh, into the new year as almost new people. Right, because at first glance it would seem to me that you would have the, the reflection and the atonement and then the new year. 
Yeah. But what you're saying is, in fact, that Kol Nidre kind of, kind of serves that purpose. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about Kol Nidre is that it never mentions God. It's an entirely secular poem. Um, the idea behind Kol Nidre actually is that throughout the year, you have, may, you have maybe had to pretend that you weren't Jewish. And you've maybe had to cross yourself or go to church or do these other things. So you are saying that any of these vows that you made, which were really for self-protection, um, they don't count. And you actually say in the liturgy that God forgives. And it's a very weird moment for me as a liturgist and as someone who officiates a service to be like, and God forgives. Like, because it's almost, it almost takes on a priestly role, which is not what it's meant to be. But, but uh, yeah, it kind of feels like that on a certain psychic level for me. Okay, last, last kind of basic question. And okay. Then we'll get, yeah, we'll get, go we'll for get Mr. Martian. So, my Mr. Martian, so, so this week of reflection, what are, what are some, what are some concrete things that, that you recommend to your congregants to do during this this, this this week in between? Sure, for the in-between, it's about journaling. Uh, it's about uh, trying to think about your life in terms of wholeness. Um, you know, what does a life of wholeness look like? Um, when, I think, unfortunately, we treat Yom Kippur the same way that we treat the secular New Year, which is this is the year when I'm going to lose weight. This is the year when I'm going to whatever. Um, matter of fact, I actually, a few years ago, I was part of a chavarah, and I led a Yom Kippur service, and I said, you know, what are the things that you want to do differently next year? And what I found that was striking, and this isn't to say anything about those individuals, but what was striking was people said, yeah, I need to exercise. Yeah, I need to go back to school. Yeah, I need to, like change jobs that's not it right those are things that we talk about when we're wasted on you know new year's new year's eve and you got a whole bottle of champagne and you're like no man this is the year that i buy a boat you know that's not what it is right so i would say like prevent yourself as much as you can from having those sort of base level i want it's not i want it's uh, it's not about material things, and it's not about changing habits to make you superficially better. Um, you know, it's about something much deeper. So, and if there's only one thing, there's only one thing. Having a laundry list of sins doesn't make you, you know, any more reflective. It just means you're better at making bullet points. So, interesting, interesting. So it's reflecting on a on a on a less selfish level. Yeah, yeah, on a on a deeper level, on a less superficial level. Um, but also understanding, and this is a nice flip side to it, which is, um, what is the good thing that God sees in you, right? So it's always, so we have a very Protestant view of sin. And this isn't to put down Protestants. Some of my favorite people are Protestants. As every racist would say, I have Protestant friends, right? But, <laughs> but, uh, but we, in America, we have a very Protestant view of sin, which is a, you have individual sins. There's no such thing as communal sin. You have individual sins that you need to atone for. You need to ask God yourself for those sins to be taken away, right? And then you need to repent and change and to do things differently. Um, so it's very much a, a, a individualist perspective. And in Judaism, we have this concept of communal sin, right? Like, what are we doing wrong? Um, and it's about systems. So that's another thing, too, is you have to think about what role am I playing in the system and how can I change? I think this... Um 
Protestant versus Jewish conception of sin could be the topic of a future podcast. Yeah. We, yeah. Know, we know some Protestants. It's true, we do. So, hoping fun to bring them in. Right. Remember that old Caitlin Diarly? Yeah. Let's Are bring her back. She's Caitlin? awesome. Haven't All seen right. her in a while. No. So, anyways, let's get to it. This is a man of many ideas and many sermons. <laughs> and some of which never see the light of day. No, but maybe one will now see the blinking red lights of the Garage Band podcast recorder. Yeah, it's true. Well, so here's what I wanted to give as a message. Um, so, Dan, when you were a kid, did you ever go to Chuck E. Cheese? I did, I, and I didn't have a good experience there. You didn't? That's a... Why did... What happened? I just recall... Um, Almost, I mean, probably not literally, but feeling like I was drowning in the ball pit. <laughs> I, I have a serious, like, panic. It's amazing that the CDC hasn't banned ball pits because <laughs> right. those things are horrifying. They are. They are. <laughs> As a an adult, I understand how disgusting they are. That, but that, tr- truthfully, that is my. Is it really? First, yeah. Like you mentioned, geez, that's the first thing I remember. The ball pit. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I was reading BuzzFeed the other day, and they said that uh, they're getting rid of the animatronic show. Okay. Right? So when you're a kid, you usually go to Chuck E. Cheese, at least in my experience, was going to cheese for Chuck E. Cheese for a birthday party. So you go, you drop off the G.I. Joes, the My Little Ponies, or whatever. You go in the disgusting ball pit, and then at some point, some adult gives you a bucket of tokens, and you play your tokens, whatever. But then the amazing part, the magical part, which wasn't the pizza. So pizza was gross. And back in the, the 80s and 90s, there were four kinds of pizza. Cheese, pepperoni, sausage, and the most disgusting-looking vegetarian stuff that was just... Yeah, and then you had the salad bar, which was really iceberg lettuce and a bucket of ranch. Um, but um, in any case, you ate the, the stale pizza. I'm getting and then, hungry for lunch, Patrick. Yeah, there you wow. go, for stale pizza. Um, and so then the stage shit would happen. And the curtain would open up, and there was Chuck E. Cheese, and there was, I honestly don't remember the names of any of the other people. There's actually a uh, documentary about showbiz pizza, which was the predecessor to Chuck E. Cheese, in the hipster documentary indie world of amazing things. That is one of them. Just stop to think that all of the protons and electrons lined up just right that you could be alive in a time that someone got the funding to make a documentary about showbiz pizza. Well, it's actually, um, this, is, this is probably the subject, we could do a podcast series on this, but I'm actually opposed to documentaries right now. Really? I'm, I'm down on the docs. Let's do a, let's do, I'm let's, down, I'm really down on the docs. Down on the docs. Let's do a podcast series on why you're down on the docs. As long as excruciating as possible. <laughs> but, so, uh, it is amazing, I agree yeah. with you that that yeah. is quite something. Yeah, it was, it was incredible stuff. So it would open up, and they sang these public domain songs, right? Because they didn't want to pay for, like, real, like, contemporary songs. And I feel like kids are less, were less hip than they are now. Like, you didn't, you maybe heard a song on the radio, but you didn't necessarily sing along. But now it's like music marketing is done to five-year-olds, right? So it's a different world. So, so you'd hear these songs, and some of the animatronics were a little racist, like, I remember there's this very racist gorilla that played piano. And, like, you know, there was, like, this guy named, like, Luigi or Pasquale or something who played drums. And, and he was this, like, horrible stereotype 
of like what a you know an Italian American must be. Anyway, but they played and you freaked out and you went on the the dance floor and you danced your little butt off. And then Chuck would Chuck the uh, the, the rodent would say, "All right, kids, like you know we'll see you next time." And then the curtains were closed. Now. I don't know if you had this experience, but there was always that one kid who would dare another kid to look under the curtain. So you'd go up to the stage and you'd have this sense of awe in front of the curtain and you'd want to you'd want to lift it up, but there was almost this like terror of what would happen if you lifted the curtain, if you saw what was under there. And uh, I was always too afraid. I was always like, no, I don't want to I don't want to see what's going on behind there. So that that curtain of mystery is something that existed in the ancient world. So in the inner sanctum of the temple was the Holy of Holies, and you had a curtain, and this curtain divided the inner sanctum from the outer sanctum, and the outer sanctum from the courtyard, and the courtyard from the rest of the camp, right? So the idea is that you have this Russian doll until you get into this holy sacred space, and only the Kohen Gadol, only the high priest, could essentially lift the veil, right? Because there was some sort of awfulness to it. Awful not meaning bleh, but awful meaning being in awe. Full of awe. Full of awe. When the Romans sacked the temple, it is said that they went into that inner sanctum. And by the way, the Israelites weren't necessarily that original in how they built temples. Uh, there's, there's no copyright on architecture or mythology or anything at the time. So if you were an invader, you would have seen a temple maybe a little bit like this. You'd know, you just go in, 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 and then eventually you get to the god. Well, when they opened the curtains, they didn't see the deity, right? They didn't see the statue. They saw an empty, effectively was an empty room. And so in lifting the veil, they saw nothing. That should be a spiritual message of wow, like this god is so transcendent and big and huge and whatever that a statue can't at all represent it, right? But I think the message that we have gotten now as we have become more rational, as we have become an enlightenment people, as we have been influenced by individualism, is that there is nothing behind the curtain. You're right, there's nothing behind the curtain. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no gods, there's no devils, there's no angels, there's no good, there's no evil. It's all morally relative. There you go. That's it. Nothing, nothing. There's nothing there. The, the, the inner sanctum is empty. Good. It's empty. There's nothing I have to worry about. So what does that leave us with? Well, what that leaves us with is, why be Jewish? What's the point? This, the inner sanctum's empty, y'all. There's nothing in there. So there's a lot of ways that you can think about that. So one is, well, because your parents were. Well, do you, does that work for a, par a child where one parent's Jewish and the other isn't? Why, why not be Methodist or, you know, a, a Baha'i or anything else? Okay, so maybe, maybe the parent thing doesn't work or the lineage thing doesn't work. So maybe it's the Holocaust. Six million people died, so you should be Jewish. Okay, well, that's profound. But it's also, in the words of Adam Shalom, a, a very famous rabbi, um, it's emotional blackmail, right? And what relationships, what healthy relationships ever survive on guilt? They don't. If a couple came to me and said, all he ever does is tell me about the bad things that happen and that's why I should stay with them, I'd say that's just not going to work. You need something bigger than that. Uh, so maybe, maybe it's, um, you know, that Judaism can provide you something in your life. Maybe there's some lessons that are good. Well, that's, that's great, you know, this idea of Jewish values. Well, that's great, but tell me what, 
values Jews have that other people don't have. Well, education. We educate our children. Well, a lot of people educate their children. Well, we believe in God. Well, a lot of religions believe in God. Well, we believe in uh, making the world a better place. A lot of atheists I know make the world a better place. So again, what, what is there? When we think as the organized Jewish world about what we are doing, we can't think about what are people choosing. We have to think about if people are choosing at all. And that's a huge difference. There was a time in our history where people decided what temple they went to, or what, or what synagogue, or what whatever, right? And it was about what's going to fit my family, or what's going to fit me where I am right now. Now, that still does exist. That's still very much relevant. But the growing trend is not which do I choose, it's if I choose. So what you have to do is you have to give people a reason. And, you know, some, for some people, these reasons work. You know, the Holocaust works. Um, your family was Jewish works. That's great, and I'm really into that. I'm glad that that works for some people. But as we see down the line that that doesn't work, we have to be able to respond to it. We have to get out in front of it. So what I am trying to say is that... Who's we in that sentence? We, we as the Jewish community, right? And when I say Jewish community, I mean anyone who aligns themselves with the destiny and the historical past of the Jewish people. So are you circumcised or not? Don't really care. Are you the non-Jewish partner of a Jewish spouse? Okay, great. Well, then you're aligned with us. You know, you're part of our people. Uh, you are a part of this thing. Oh, man, that kid is pissed. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we have to get out in front of it. So there are a lot of different ways we can do it, and I'm very open to what these different things can be. What, where I come from and what I think my contribution to this conversation can be is the, the curtain, that there's this curtain and there's this power behind the curtain and that this, that this thing is with us all of the time, and it is mysterious, and it is powerful, and it's captivating. There's a book called The God of Old by a teacher named James Kugel. I love the fact that one of the premier Bible scholars in America has the last name of a delicious Ashkenazi noodle dish. Um, again, the Even cooler than Hollywood pizza. Yeah. No, what was it called? No, wait. Uh, um... Chuck E. Cheese's. Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. The, pre, the precursor. We just talked about Showbiz. This. Showbiz. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, too bad we don't edit. It's yeah, too bad oh we don't well. edit. We oh, more. well. Yeah. But that, I think that keeps it fun. It's right. raw. It's fresh. It's raw. It's artisanal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's seasonal. We're cutting open veins and seeing what spills out in the <laughs> podcast land. That's very appropriate given the fact that Yom Kippur used to be animal sacrifice. <laughs> but um, Used you, to be? Yeah, I mean, that's... Still is in some... Uh, well, Bone Kodesh. We do animal sacrifice. If we do, it's news to me. Um, Surprise! Surprise! Uh, yeah, so that's why there's so much blood Come guts on out down. in front of yeah. The, the uh, Samaritans still do that, actually. But in any case, um, so James Kugel said that the God of old, like the way that the Bible understands God, is not the way the philosophers understand it. God is very much a physical, tangible presence in the world. And he described it as, it is like there's this veil between our reality and another reality. And that the two realities sometimes touch each other. So you can be walking down the street and suddenly God shows up, right? You can be having a meal with a friend and suddenly it's, oh, I thought you were my friend. Oh, wait, you're God. Oh, wait, you're an angel, right? That, that this holy presence just bumps in and that there's this moment of confusion 
Um, and sometimes people are so aware of this presence that they hide from it. You know, they try to run away from it. It is very tangible and real and earthly and grounded in the stuff of this world, even though it's behind this kind of shadow. And so I think of that as that's the curtain again, right? There's this curtain that divides this reality and another reality. And sometimes those realities bump into each other. So it's the mother who's sitting on a couch who suddenly is like, my child's in trouble. They just know. Somehow they just know. It's you're at work and you, you get an email from someone that says, you know, I'm having a great day. And you just know, oh my God, no, like they're not having a good day. This is, And you have no reason to, to know it, but you just know. Um, why is it that our bodies in times of trouble get superhuman strength? Um, why is it that when you are with someone romantically, it feels like there's this energy exchange and it's powerful and it takes you over physically, right? Why do we talk about two flesh becomes one flesh? We know that's not anatomically true, but it's true. There's just something that's about it, right? So there's this reality and this mystery and this power and, and we have these texts and we have this evolving community who is responding to it. And Jewish history is a response to that. It is a response to there's this reality behind the curtain. And, and so for me, where I come from and where I feel I can contribute is to talk about that and to provide that. Um, and really, when it comes to other things, to say, you know what, it's okay if we don't do it this way. It's okay if we cut out this thing. It's okay if we, you know, sing this prayer instead of that. It's okay if... You know, you want to uh, read the Torah this way, or we'll read this parsha instead of this one, um, because we're really the whole point is tapping into this greater reality behind the curtain that punks us, and it punks us because when you open the curtain, there's nothing there, and it's not that it's nihilist; it's not that there's nothing; it's that the something is so powerful that you can't see it. And uh, you know, my message for the high holidays is: don't lose that power. Don't lose that reality. Don't lose that myth. Don't lose that energy. Don't lose that oneness, that unity. Don't lose it. Don't sacrifice it. Don't say there's nothing behind the curtain so I don't have to do anything. Right? Don't, don't say there's nothing behind the curtain so, you know, I guess I'll just go along with it just because. Right? Or because I feel like I've been emotionally blackmailed into it. Or because of any reason. Allow the mystery and the wonder to captivate you. And let's, let's do that. And other people have different ideas, and those ideas may be equally as valid as mine. And I'd love to hear them. So if anyone listening has an idea, if you think I'm totally off course, if you think I'm missing the point, if you've lifted the veil and you've seen something else, let us know. Podcast at RabbiPatrick.com. I think we're going to leave it right there. Awesome. So uh, Happy New Year, Dan. Happy New Year to you. Take care, everyone.